Um, we're carrying on with Hezekiah, and uh, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be looking at chapter 29 of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, chapter 29. And uh, we're actually going to be looking at chapter 29, chapter 30, and chapter 31. But I'm not going to read it all. <coughs> but where we finished last week, chapter 29 and verse 10... And this is Hezekiah, the king of Judah, speaking. Now, I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. My sons, and he's speaking here to the priests and the Levites, who in the new covenant are us. My people, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you, he's chosen you, to stand before him, to serve him, to minister before him, and to burn incense. And then down to verse 15. When they had assembled their fellow Levites and consecrated themselves, they went in to purify the temple of the Lord, as the king had ordered, following the word of the Lord. The priests went into the sanctuary of the Lord to purify it. They brought out to the courtyard of the Lord's temple everything unclean that they found in the temple of the Lord. The Levites took it and carried it out to the Kidron Valley. They began the consecration on the first day of the first month, and by the eighth day of that month, they'd reached the portico of the Lord. Aren't you fully engrossed in this? We've reached the portico of the Lord. For eight more days, they consecrated the temple of the Lord itself finishing on the 16th day of the first month. If this was a news program, I would now have to say some of the following words some may find difficult and harmful. They went, into, they went into King Hezekiah and reported, we have purified the entire temple of the Lord, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensil, utensils and the table for setting out the consecrated bread with all its articles. We have prepared and consecrated all the articles that King, Hez, King Ahaz removed in his unfaithfulness while he was king. They are now in front of the Lord's altar. Early in the next morning, King Hezekiah gathered the city officials together and went up to the temple of the Lord. They brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven male lambs, and seven male goats as a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. The king commanded the priests, the descendants of Aaron, to offer these on the altar of the Lord. So they slaughtered the bulls, and the priests took the blood and splashed it against the altar. Next, they slaughtered the rams and splashed their blood against the altar. Then they slaughtered the lambs and splashed their blood against the altar. The goats for the sin offering were brought before the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. The priests then slaughtered the goats and presented their blood on the altar for a sin offering to atone for all Israel, because the king had ordered that the burnt offerings and the sin offerings were for all Israel." Let's just pray. Father, we ask you to give us insight into these words which are so foreign to us and we have so little understanding in many ways of, of their meaning and the situation, Father. 
So come and help us, we pray. Amen. Last, last week we looked at the poor state of religious life in Israel. King Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, had been king for quite a while. He'd been, in God's eyes, a very bad king. Um, and he shut the doors of the temple that Solomon had built many years before. He took out many of the items for worship and uh, just left them, and he brought in many foreign um, ways of worship, including sacrificing his own children. And uh, we looked at the poor state of the UK church in reality as well. And we looked at how Hezekiah planned to change the religious life of Israel. First, as we read, he went to God and intended to make a covenant with him. He opened the temple doors. He, he went to the temple, unblocked them, opened them, and brought the presence of God back into society. The temple was the place where God dwelt in Israel, and shutting the doors meant that God was being shut out of the life of Israel. And Hezekiah going and opening the doors was saying, no, we want God in our society. He then repaired the doors so that the presence of God could be protected from just anyone wandering in and doing as they pleased. And then he encouraged the priests and the Levites to be diligent in listening, serving, worship, and prayer. So what happened next is that Hezekiah called together the priests and the Levites, those who served God, which in the new covenant is the people of God. So in this story, we are the priests and the Levites. And he called them together and said, consecrate yourselves. Because what had happened with the priests and the Levites is with the temple door shut, they'd basically lost their job because that's where they worked. And uh, so they'd gone back to their farms, their towns, their villages, and just lived as priests and Levites, but unable to really serve God in the way that they would normally. So they consecrated themselves. They committed themselves again to God and his ways. They turned their back on how Ahab had shut down the religious life, and they said, no, we will serve God again. It was a change of direction for them. They had to gather from their towns and villages back to the center, back to the temple. And we see that there was, an there was an individual determination with fresh zeal to serve the living God. And then they consecrated the service. See, Ahab had brought some things, not into the temple because he'd shut the door, but outside the temple he had produced, um, he'd, he'd got a design for a new type of temple, a new type of altar. He'd, got, he'd, he'd been taken to Assyria. He saw this temple, this, uh, sorry, this altar, really liked it, sent the design and said, look, get this altar, put it in front of the temple, and we will now worship in this new way around this altar. He'd also taken a lot of stuff out of the temple. So they came, they destroyed Ahab's way of religious life, and they restored many of the things 
that Ahab had taken out of the temple. So they reconsecrated the way worship was going to happen in the land of Israel. Then they cleansed the place with blood, as we read. Sort of, not many of us are probably have cut up bulls and goats and lambs, etc. But there's a lot of blood. <laughs> and uh, what we see um, Hezekiah do is he takes seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven goats. Now, seven in the Bible is a number that means perfection. Numbers in the Bible are quite important. And when you read a number, it's just worth um, asking, what is, what is the point of this number? So he brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, seven goats, and that's representing the sort of perfect number. This is the perfect sacrifice. Now, what's interesting is if you go to the sin offering, which is in Leviticus chapter 4 and 5, you will find if an individual, well, as a nation, if a nation had sinned, or an individual, well, start with an individual, you have to sacrifice one bull. If the people had sinned, whether intentionally or unintentionally, they needed one bull. If a leader had sinned, intentionally or unintentionally, you needed a goat. Don't know what that says about a leader, but you needed a goat for a leader. And if an individual person sinned, whether intentionally or unintentionally, they needed a lamb. Now, if you couldn't afford any of those, you could also go to pigeons and stuff like that. But King Hezekiah was king, he could obviously afford it. So what he is doing in bringing seven bulls, rams, lambs, and goats is saying, we need a transformation. We need a deep clean of the temple. We need a perfect sacrifice. And we need bulls because individuals have sinned. We need bulls because as a nation we have sinned. We need a goat. We need goats because the leaders have sinned. We need lambs because the people have sinned. And he was, in one sense, covering every option. He was saying, we have sinned and gone astray. This was a cleansing from the past, but it points forward to a more perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 10 verse 4 says, the blood of bulls and goats can't do the job. They were symbolic of another sacrifice, a sacrifice which was going to be perfect. The perfect sacrifice is Jesus. So what can we take out of this story? Well, for us, <coughs> if you have encountered God, You've come through the cross of Jesus, his sacrifice, once and for all. The blood of bulls and goats needed repeating year, day, week after week after week, year after year after year. It was going to go on and on and on. Jesus' sacrifice was so perfect and so complete that it only needed to happen once. 
And we come to God through that sacrifice, through repentance, that's turning around, saying, I'm going to leave my old and come into a new. I'm going to leave my way of making myself right, happy, good, whatever, and I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to recognize that I have sinned. I have done wrong. I have offended God. And that has gone on to the cross of Jesus, and he has paid the price. His blood has washed me clean. We come through repentance, through faith. We're baptized into his body, and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the new people of God. So no longer do we have to lead a bull in every Sunday and slit its throat on the stage. Hallelujah! It is done. It is finished. And Romans 8 says of God's people, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus are called according to his purpose we are a people who are clean we are a people who are forgiven we are a people who can come into the presence of God and experience the presence of God as we have this morning as we've worshipped and that's important for us as we go through the rest of this Hezekiah encouraged his priests and Levites not to be negligent, but to give themselves to following after God. And there's no condemnation for us, but the New Testament encourages us, as Paul does in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 and 14. He says this, I haven't obtained everything, I haven't got it all, but I push on with an urgency, with a zeal, with a passion, with a strength, because I want to know more and more and more of God. I want to know more of his character. I want to know more of his purposes. I want to know more of his power. I want to know more of his resurrection. I want to know more if, of his suffering. I want to go on. Ephesians, Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 5, says, go on being filled with the Spirit. We are people that are filled with the Spirit, but there is more and more, and we keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, writing in 2 Peter 1.5, says, add to your faith, add to your faith, add to your faith. Keep learning, keep growing. And Hezekiah would say to us, don't be negligent, but be diligent in pursuing God and his purposes. Hezekiah had to take some stuff out of the temple. Stuff that Ahab had brought in. And as I was thinking about this, I just want to mention four things. COVID has helped us to change as a church across, across the world probably, but certainly in the UK. What sort of things do we need to take out of the old? And the first one I'd mention is individualism. If anything, COVID has made, has made us more focused on me. <laughs> um, and, you know, you read through, 
you know, how am I doing, my mental health, what's, how COVID has affected me. Um, you know, I've been in my home, um, just been me and Leslie for the first time in 42 years. It's like, this is weird. We had months of it. Very nice. But it was odd. But the danger is that we continue to grow in individualism. That my Christianity is all about me. What makes me happy? What satisfies me? Um, I know at certain times, um, church leaders, you know, come, given most of them have Monday off, Tuesday morning, it's how did the worship go? And fundamentally, I've been in loads of meetings where leaders have in the end said, no, we shouldn't say that. Because actually all we're saying is, how did I enjoy the worship? <laughs> did I like the songs? Did I like the music? Did I like the words? Did I like the contributions? We don't judge worship. God does that. We participate in it. And part of what God wants, I believe, to drain out of more of us and more of the UK church, that sense of individualism. We are a body, we are a family, we are an army together. That's what we are. Part of the 60 hours of prayer over June is to recognize that although we're separate, we can do this together. And the great thing is lots of people I speak to, um, <coughs> lots of people I speak to, they've either been very, very precise in saying two minutes, <laughs> or they've said, I've not managed two minutes, it's been 10 or 15, because I've just kept going. But we've done that as a family. And that's what we need. And God wants to drain more of the individual out, individualism out. And particularly, we English. Many of the other nations are much more corporate than we are. But we are the family of God. The other thing that we need to take out not so much here, but across the UK church, is audience. We come to sit, not exactly to be entertained, but to be led in our worship in that I don't have to think about it. I turn up, someone will be here, they'll lead me in worship, I'll sing their songs. But worship is not an audience There's a word. It's not about being an audience. It's about participation. It's about joining God, joining with the people of God. I think another thing we've got to take out is celebrity. We live in a celebrity culture. And it can very quickly get ingrained in our Christianity. And my definition of celebrity is this. You listen to someone because of who they are rather than what they've said. Just because Dave has said it, minor celebrity, <laughs> I hope. No, <laughs> just because Dave said it, it must be right. Just because some famous speaker says it, just because someone on a big stage says it, just because some big worship leader says it, it must be right. 
we are called to be a discerning people. And we are called to weigh what we hear. We are called to take hold of the good and we are told to get rid of the rubbish. And, and sometimes we focus, let's hold on to what is good, but actually we don't do enough, get rid of the rubbish. Because then you suddenly feel, oh, am I judging them? No. We have the Bible to help us understand. And one of the things that we need to get out of is celebrity. The fourth one I've defined as a righteousness built on self. Okay? So it's not self-righteousness, but it's a righteousness built on self. And that is really difficult to explain as I've tried to grapple with how to explain it. But it's a righteousness that says, I will take, we'll take Sunday morning, I can contribute this Sunday morning, I am safe to bring a prayer, I'm safe to bring a reading, I'm safe to bring a prophecy, because during the week, I have consistently read my Bible, I have consistently prayed, I've managed this week not to... Uh, um, slander anyone, I've managed to keep away from pornography, I've managed to do this, I've managed to do this, therefore I can contribute. But that is not the righteousness that comes by faith. The righteousness that comes by faith is actually, I do a lot wrong but I confess that to Jesus and he gives me his righteousness and so I am righteous. So that at any time I can contribute, I can bring because I am clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Do you see the distinction? And I think there is across the church in the UK still a phenomenal basis of a righteousness that is based on actually what I've done during the week. I was, not so much now, um, but in the early days of preaching, I always, well I didn't, I often congratulated myself at how much I prayed the week before I preached. Because I missed what was really happening there. I would, I'm coming up to, you know, coming to preach, you know, you'd be preaching once in four weeks or something, and the week before you preach, you'd really be praying. And you'd sort of think, well, that's okay. You know, I'm doing well now. I'm praying because I'm preaching next week. Now, that was good. But it meant that come Monday, after you've preached, you've got a day off. <laughs> you don't need to think about God. You don't need to read your Bible. You don't need to pray because you don't need it because tomorrow you're not preaching. That was Sunday. And suddenly you think on a minute, this is a righteousness based on me and what I'm doing rather than on God. Do you get that? Good, we will move on. So, if those are the things we've got to put, take out, and I believe God will be taking them out more and more, what do we need to put in? 
And for that, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 14. What shall, we do, what shall we say, brothers and sisters? This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He said, when we come together on a Sunday morning at 10.30 or 10.45, depending on whether we arrive or not, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue or two, or at most three, or at most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in church and speak to the, himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if the revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. And for those who are open their Bible, I'm not going further in that reading for today. <coughs> we need to bring back, I mean, we're pretty good at it, but we need to increase and broaden our participation. And this is whenever you come together. So it's not just about Sunday morning at 10.30 when you come together for meals when you come together in what will be our new sort of group structure in September when we come together on a Wednesday evening we are there ready to encourage one another build one another up speak God's word to one another strengthen one another pray with one another speak in tongues with one another We are not individuals. We're not an audience. We're not celebrity-based. We're not living with a righteousness built on self. We are a gathering of God's holy people. That's why you're called saints. Saints. Because God has made us his people. And as such... What you bring for a Sunday encourages this one and that one. What this one brings, it encourages. Your prophetic insight, your tongue, it builds us up as a body. Now, there, there are challenges. Time is a challenge. Not many people really enjoy public speaking. I really don't think many people do. Possible exception of Gareth. <laughs> sometimes we just have to push ourselves a little bit it's actually i will pray out i will pray because we're bringing into the church that sense of body that sense of community that sense of participation that sense that we are all equal that sense that we are all righteous in the sight of god those are the things that we need to put in for hezekiah and his priests and levites it was redoing sacrifices. It's bringing in the old order. For us, it is going back to the old order of church. But Hezekiah did one other thing. 
In chapter 30, it says this, Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. The king and his officials and the whole assembly in Jerusalem decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. They had not been able to celebrate it at the regular time because of not enough priests had consecrated themselves. Hezekiah was king of Judah, which was two of the tribes of Israel. Israel was the other ten tribes. What Hezekiah did was to write to the whole of Israel, all twelve tribes, and say, hey, come again, come back. Let us celebrate the Passover again. Now, the Passover is the great feast um, that they celebrated when Moses led the people out of Egypt and towards the Promised Land. And uh, the Passover was instigated there as a feast. And actually, it wasn't kept very often. But Hezekiah calls to the whole people of Israel and says, come and celebrate let us celebrate afresh all that God has done. And what he did is he worked for unity. He went to all the people. And as a church, we want to work with the whole church of Kettering, Northamptonshire, the UK, and around the world. The local church is an incredibly powerful force for change in society. When it is empowered by God, led by God, and its gifts are released into the world. But disconnected from the wider body, it loses so much of its power. But joined with the wider body of the church, which has its callings, has its gifts, we can be together a powerful, powerful force for change, which is what we want. And Hezekiah, in chapter, chapter 30, 2 Chronicles 30, verse 18, 20, I'm just going to read this little bit. Although, so what's happened is lots of the different people of Israel have come to Jerusalem from all the different tribes, and it's the first time it's happened um, since the time of Solomon. Although... Most of the many people who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, Zebulun had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover, contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord who is God pardon everyone who sets their heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even if they are not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. Hezekiah expressed grace to the wider body of the church. And we need to be those who show the same grace. Even though they don't do things the right way like what we does. We can express grace. We can work together. Hezekiah led the people back to the old ways. He led the people back to purity, sacrifice, worship, unity. And he led them, as we will see in the next few weeks, into phenomenal blessing. 
a blessing that came not without trials and tribulations and difficulties, but there was a renewal of Israel. And surely we want to see a renewal of our nations, whether England, Nigeria, Guyana, wherever. We want to see God move. And to do that, we need something of Hezekiah's leadership within each one of us to purity, sacrifice, worship and unity and into the blessing of God.